Thank you for joining us for this episode of the OI Show. Today, we're joined by Natalie Chai. We're going to be speaking about clinical signs that lead to radiofrequency, IPL, thermal pulsation, or PRP on the OI Show. Well, thank you again for joining us for this episode of the OI Show. We're excited to be joined by Natalie Chai. Natalie, thank you for joining us for this episode. Thank you for having me. Such an honor. <laughs> yeah, well, the honor is all mine, Natalie. I've uh, I've been following Natty, uh, Natalie on social media, and you know, seen some things that she's been doing. She is just crushing it in her practice. She practices in Canada, and uh, you know, there's there's things that she's doing in Canada that we are not yet doing in the United States, and it's just super impressive to see some of the things that are happening in your practice. Why don't you start off by sharing with us a little bit about yourself, where you practice and uh, in, in the practice itself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I graduated from Pacific, so Pacific alumni, just like yourself here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, just in a blink of an eye already, seven years has gone by and like so <laughs> So fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, long story short, um, how my practice opened up was actually... Um, I made the decision one month prior to COVID when we did that, those lockdowns. So it was a really scary time because I, you know, as you know, purchased all the fancy equipment in March, uh, sorry, in February, I should say. And I remember it clearly, you know, March, they were saying everyone shut down, right? They said two weeks initially. So I'm like, no problem. Got to get things figured out. But um, two weeks turned to three months, right? So, um, so I mean, it's a blessing disguise looking uh, hindsight is 2020, right? Um, is that that was necessary. That three month kind of hiatus was necessary for me to hone in on my systems. That was the biggest thing. And, um, uh, you know, learn a little bit more around that social media aspect as well. And so thankfully I didn't do it, you know, all on my own. I have partners, but what I did start cold was of course, especially aspect of, you know, of the practice. So I call it the trifecta, you know, the dry eye clinic there. I also do myopia management and um, third from there is especially contact lenses as well. Mm. So they all kind of run together. It's amazing, you know, um, and all what I love about it too, it's uh, long-term. So um, basically you garner these relationships with your patients, not, you know, every two years, it's, you know, ongoing for, for life. They don't know it, but when I say life, I mean life, right? So um, Mm -hmm. they'll know that uh, they'll be with me for, you know, the rest of their life, as long as of course I, I serve and I continue to deliver as well. So here I am. Yeah. You know that I I love that, and as as you know, and many of our listeners know, those are the the same specialties that you know really excite me. I have the myopia podcast, and then we have a dry eye practice, and then obviously with our scleral lens, especially contact lens practice. So it's uh it's it's fun to follow other people who are crushing it and get to watch and learn from each other. And there's always so much that we can learn in talking with each other. Let's dig into your dry eye practice a little bit. So this this opening of this kind of specialty within that, what was happening before? And then what did you invest in and what did you change about your practice um, right, right as COVID was happening? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the story is similar as a lot of optometrists when it comes to dry eye uh, management treatment for their patients at the beginning where, you know, the mainstay and all we had access to, you know, was eye drops, warm compresses, lid scrubs and, and such, right? And 
It was fantastic. But I think you also know too, um, especially for the moderate to severe dry eye patients and complex cases, those are essentially ineffective, right? It's just a band-aid to get them in. So I was just getting quite frustrated because that was like my cap in terms of what I could do. And then of course, the uh, the other thing too was, you know, doxycycline, right? Or antibiotics were fantastic for the acute cases here and there for flare-ups. Mm-hmm. But then you know, it was causing gut issues. I'm like, I can't live with myself knowing that I might be causing ulcers for the patient down the road, right? Um, and so uh, I kind of, you know, I, I've heard a little bit here and there with conferences about, you know, the advanced treatments uh, with IPL and such. And so I dug deep. I went, you know, con- conferences prior to COVID and learned a little bit more, chatted with actually Dr. Perryman, you know, uh, through Instagram. And she gave me graciously her time because she's a busy woman, right? Um, I, you know, I reached out to, um, you know, companies, you know, that distributed these instruments, right? Learned a little bit more about it. Um, lots of reading, you know, evidence-based is important as well, just to uh, figure out what type of instruments to get, because there's so many out there right now, especially yes. now. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's, it can be confusing as to, you know, mm-hmm. what but to purchase. So, um, you know, for me during COVID, I know I had to like dig deep and reflect, especially during that time is like, do I, um, you know, go halfway, you know, in terms of purchasing equipment and my systems, or is it all in? So I did go all in. So it's like, that's all or none for me. And so I actually did just like literally everything that you can think of when it comes to diagnostics, um, as well as um, treatment. So diagnostics, basically, whatever you can think of, you know, the tear lab, I have the Oculus, you know, 5M keratograph, um, uh, inflammatory rate, um, you know, incisional dyes, slit lamp with a, you know, anterior side camera, um, you know, uh, you know, basically everything they can think of just to help build that profile. And uh, as you know, too, you know, dry eye is very visual for the patient. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and so when they see their eyes, like that's your eye, right? Um, it's just so, the impact is so much more. Um, yeah. I used to just pull like images on Google and be like, that's kind of what you have. And and even then it was actually as just as impactful, but when it's their eye, it's amazing. Um, and the buy-in, right? Buy-in, especially as you know, it's an investment when they are considering to purchase, you know, a treatment bundle or, or such, right? Yeah. Issues during COVID with cash flow and, and such, you know, um, the buy-in in terms of having them invest in their eye health. Um, it's amazing how many people, you know, will choose to invest their dollars, and, you know, something else in their eyes. And, but, you know, it, it, it bubbles into a certain point where their eyes start really bothering in them. Then they'll think about their eyes. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and- so, so let me dig a little bit in it. So you, you also bought some, some treatment technologies, right? So that was your diagnostics. What did you do from a treatment perspective for, for uh, purchases? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, my first purchase was the IPL, the luminous yeah. M- uh, M22. Um, shortly after that, then, you know, the uh, radio frequency came along. Um, mm-hmm. So I have the ND Med Pure 2.0, um, and I do have the Ilux as well. Um, and then I also have a the in-office deep cleaning Zocu kit, you know, from Dr. Peter Pham, and uh, and the and, and I also do have the Bluff X as well uh, in office. And uh, and then you know, from time to time for the severe patient, I've actually had a few instances of using an uh, the BioD Optics amniotic membrane as well mm-hmm. for. Um, and then of course there's, uh, you know, autologous serum and, uh, PRP drops. We were able to do that here. And 
I'm working with actually, I think, I think she's a classmate of yours, uh, Dr. Manya Madan, right? So she's awesome. doing great too, right? Uh, with her PRP. So I'm just waiting for, for her stuff to get, get in, in terms of PRP. So we can, uh, source it, you know, in clinic versus, you know, um, outsourcing it to pharmacies since we're doing it anyways. Right. So. Yeah. So let's just talk about PRP for a moment, because that's not something that we're doing much of in the United States. Hmm. What is, what is PRP? Yeah. So plasma rich uh, platelets. And so mm-hmm. it's uh, there's always a confusion between, you know, autologous serum and PRP because yeah. essentially principally they're the same, right? Um, however, what's different between the two, of course, are the uh, platelets. So autologous serum, they actually strip it from the platelets, uh, plate, uh, strip out the platelets. So um, what makes sense to me with PRP is that these platelets have a lot of the growth factors in there. Um, it also, you know, um, it has a lot of the uh, healing factors that's necessary for recovery. That's why, um, for me, I don't know about maybe you can share too with your experience with autologous serum. You know, it was hit or miss sometimes, right? With autologous serum, at least in my experience. And yeah. so I decided to, you know, reach out to uh, Dr. Madan and it's like, what's this PRP thing too? Kind of same, similar to you as well. And uh, she swears by it. She's been doing this, I think, for the last five, six, seven years. Um, so she's got a lot of experience with it. And I uh, and I found that with PRP is that uh, is that it has a lot more you know healing properties and a lot quicker results is what I've been finding a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. The downside is that there is a little bit more inflammatory inflammation because of the platelets there. So you sometimes do need to couple it with say a uh, like a steroid drop, like a low to max gel just to decrease kind of the inflammation that can sometimes come on with PRP drops as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, obviously you've got a lot of things at your disposal. So I want to get a little granular here. So you go through all this diagnostics, you've done inflammadry, you do, uh, you know, you, all of your keratograph testing, you do your vital dyes and so forth. What is it? that you see in a patient's eye that drives you towards IPL or RF. Right. So those, those two treatments, you know, are something that is continuing to gain in popularity. And a lot of practitioners are like, I don't know, you know, and I don't know if that's going to be something, is it, is it just the cosmetics, you know, cause so many people are like, Oh yeah, I'll bring that in and, you know, get people to look really good. Or is there something diagnostically that you say, oh, I see this, that, and the other thing that points me towards uh, doing this particular type of uh, treatment, IPL or RF? Yeah, definitely. And so um, this is exactly the way that I would explain it to a patient um, is that with IPL, as you know, what, what it targets, where it shines is inflammation, right? The chronic inflammation portion of dry eye. So then um, what we look for then, of course, is the ocular rosacea. So the telangiectatic vessels along the lid margins. Um, the key word, of course, is you got to look for it. But I mean, a lot of times, a lot of dry patients will already have it <laughs> along their lid margins. Um, and so that's number one thing. And, and of course, with the inflammatory, it does confirm those inflammatory markers on the ocular surface. Um, and so that's certainly for sure. Number one, the ocular rosacea automatically in my mind, uh, will be the IPL. 
the other thing too, on that same note, dovetailing from that is that because we know, you know, inflammation is the driving force of chronic dry eye, even if I'm not seeing too much, um, you know, telangic tag vessels or whatnot, I still consider IPL because, you know, um, like an angry person, if your eyes are constantly, you know, chronically, um, you know, uh, angry, for instance, whatever you do on top, it's not going to be effective. So it's like an angry person got to calm them down, got to calm the eyes down first with say IPL. Therefore, what you do, you know, at home, for example, will have a better fighting chance to work. So I always explain it that way. Now with RF, um, of course, you know, my Bohmian gland dysfunction or my Bohmian um, gland atrophy or blockage, right? Um, actually, I learned it from you, right? With the my, my Bohmian gland evaluator, like the amount of uh, like MGYLS, or, you know, I can't remember what it was, but my that's Bohmian actually my glands uh, yielding liquid. Yielding, there we go. Yeah. Yep. YGLS. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And so that's exactly what I actually use is the, um, you know, per you know, position of no gland expression with the evaluator here, I would think about radio frequency. And so I have found, because um, radio frequency is still pretty much in their baby stages still, right? Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, efficacy clinic wise, I do find that it does provide fantastic expressions superior to that of say, when I do ILUX, I do have to say that. And I think it's because of the type of energy being um, used because uh, ILUX, lipoflow and like a warm compress and my, how I view it as conductive, right? We're trying to move heat from like the activator or like the warm compress to the skin and through the skin to where the uh, mybomian glands are, which is pretty deep, right? And uh, the, yeah. the, yeah, the layers, right? It's even past the dermis. Um, so with the radio frequency, as you know, it uh, in my handpiece, there's no uh, heat, it's electromagnetic radiation, right? And so the electromagnetic radiation then is absorbed to your skin, which is absorbed by the water chromophores in your skin. And that causes movement, movement causes friction, friction causes heat. So actually the heat is coming from the person's per own body. So this is what I call inside out heating versus outside in heating, right? We're not pushing heat through. It's coming from the inside out. And so I think this is where it's important when it comes to, you know, um, expressing is that, um, as you know, for, for liquefying or melting the oils in the oil glands here, it requires 42 degrees Celsius, a centigrade. Right. Yeah. Um, and so with a warm compress, the surface of the skin gets way too hot for it even to penetrate through. Um, and so the radio frequency, we get there because it can, we're, we're um, getting the oils uh, to, to uh, heat up to 42 and then it rises to the skin, to the surface. Um, and so like the amount, the expressions, and I've posted it, um, I've been pretty bad lately in terms of posting, but I have posted you know, a few things in terms of um, expressions and they're amazing in terms of what comes out. Um, and which brings me to the point in terms of which do I choose? A lot of the questions that I have is, well, which one's better, IPL or radio frequency? And I feel that might not be a fair question to ask because it's apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, IPL does have a heat component, um, but, you know, IPL, I think of it as, you know, uh, inflammation targeting that and then radio frequency is for the blockage. So, um what, what if I have been doing for my patients is actually 98%, and that's a true stat because uh, I had to look at it, 90% of my patients, at least in my experience, have combination IPL and radiofrequency to complement each other. Um, and so- And how do you do that clinically? Do you do them both on the same day? Right. Yeah. And so my model right now is I do radiofrequency first, 
and uh, together with the in-office expressions. And then two weeks after that is the first IPL. And then two weeks after that, so I alternate. Uh, so I do a total of um, eight treatments, four of each, alternated. So there's a bit of a time commitment for the patient up front, but they understand. So we set up the expectation for them is uh, that, yeah, you kind of have to make your appointments, right, for this to be effective, right? Um, and uh, and so that's kind of how how my model has been. And so far, you know, knock on wood, it's been very effective for the yeah, most part. And you published a study on 34 patients, I think it was, that yeah. you did in this. And um it was, uh, it, 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 I mean, you got some pretty good results utilizing this process of every two weeks. Uh, what a commitment on your part and the patient's part. That's a, that's a lot of work. Why can't you do them both at the same time? Right. I mean, technically you can, you can. Um, and so, but the, uh, the thing for us, it's, a long appointment, right, for the patient. Um, like the radio frequency already takes about 20, 25 minutes or so, and then add on, say, 10, 15 minutes for the um, in-office expressions, right? Um, and, you know, I I videotape, you know, the expressions for my patients. So a lot of the, uh, the, the chair time is just me showing them, like, what's coming out. So, and they're amazed by that, which is great. And then of course the IPL, even though it's it's quick. Um, so what I've actually added this year is I've actually started to do more of the facial rosacea treatments too. And so it does take a little bit more time. It used to take say 10 minutes, but now because I'm incorporating the protocols for facial rosacea treatments here, it does take closer to that 15 to 20 mark. So if you can think about it, it, it can be, you know, like an hour, <laughs> an hour or so. And a lot of times after the radio frequency treatment, uh, patients' eyes are really sore just because mm. I'm using um, you know, forceps, you know, the, the expressors and, you know, they're done basically after, you know, that, that session. Um, do you express after IPL? I don't at this point, but I do do lid debridement after IPL. So I kind of, again, go after, back to- after yes. you do lid debridement, not mm-hmm. before, why not before? Oh yeah. And so not before, um, I feel that the heat component from the IPL loosens up the, um, those dead skin cells against the lid margin and, and the line of marks. So I found that it was actually a lot easier for me to scrape it off <laughs> after the IPL while the skin is still relatively warm, um, mm-hmm. a lot more comfortable also for the patient too. Uh, so I'm not mm-hmm. like right there trying to scrape everything off, you know, uh, over and over. It does come off a lot nicer. Um, in my opinion, especially with that ultrasound gel on there, right? Get a little bit of that mixed in and yeah. yeah. (laughs) Wow. What a, uh, what, so, so, uh, we have to ask this question because you've, you've mentioned it is you also have an ILUX. So Mm -hmm. when would you, when you choose ILUX over one of these other things clinically, you know, there there may be a, a patient who chooses one or would might be more comfortable with one, but if you're looking at the patient, when are you going to say, uh, uh, RF versus ILUX? Yeah, absolutely. And so I have ILUX position now for the asymptomatic, um, but you know, we see it clinically changes and also the mild dry eye patient, whether it's, you know, um, the, the patient's using drops you know, here and there, for instance, or if I find, um, cause with the routine exams, you do, uh, screening real quick screening on the lower lid, mark, uh, lower lid, my bottom, um, my glands. So I can tell right away whether or not they're on their way to, you know, uh, symptomatic significance of dry eye. So I show them that and I say, well, you know, if you want to, 
be ahead of the game and uh, not having spiral to spiral down, having issues with your dry eye, we can do an eye lux. It's one time because of course it's one treatment, one treatment. So they don't have to commit to say like the bundle of treatments per se. It's a lot cheaper as well. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of times I think most people, especially during COVID now, a lot of people are a little bit more health conscious about being preventative. And so uh, I, I feel that with Ilux, it's positioned fantastic that way. A lot of people have more, are already doing a warm compress, but have fallen off that bandwagon. So I say, well, you know, here is an opportunity for us to do it for you in office. Ilux, a little more effective. Um, and also it does have that massage as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't want to know the specific numbers because I, I certainly don't think you should share them, but mm -hmm. You know, if somebody did an ILUX versus did an, an, a radio frequency, you said it's a lot cheaper. Can you give us an idea of like a percentage that it would be difference? Yeah, so close to about 60% cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and that's for one ILUX treatment versus doing four radio frequencies. I right. presume you have a, a package for radio frequencies a package for IPL, a package for IPL and radio frequency combined because of this, of this process you have. So that, yeah, that's a pretty substantial difference for those people who are not ready to make that commitment and, and so forth. What have you seen change as far as the pharmaceuticals or the other recommendations that you've given since bringing in radio frequency and IPL? Yeah, um, absolutely. Number one, I've noticed off the bat is a lot of patients um, that are referred over to my side because a lot I'm think I'm thankful and grateful that a lot of my patients that I see is in house um, since I have partners. Um, so that has certainly helped my growth over the last handful of years. But the number one thing that I've noticed is a lot of these patients are on um, whether it's their optometrist or themselves over the last handful of years have been on like say Lodamax or prednisone um, long term because of battling say like the inflammation red eyes, all that stuff. So they've been on it for like, say for years. So since, you know, doing IPL and uh, rate of frequency or whatever it is, and what any of the advanced treatments, they're off of it entirely. So they don't have to reach for their Lodomax gel anymore. They don't have to reach for all recs, right? That's another popular one that we're seeing mm -hmm. um, by eye individuals. Um, the other thing too, is a lot of individuals also have been on Doxy for whatever reason. Um, again, for, um, you know, inflammation, they're off of that too, which is amazing. Um, so a lot of these, you know, drugs that were used, which are fantastic, they work, right? They, that's why people use them, but it's, you know, the side effects coming off of it long-term is just not good. So this is where the advanced treatments is, you know, a drug-free, drop-free, minor surgery-free option, more yeah. effective. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm. phenomenal. Well, thank you for sharing with us your experience here in this uh, explosive dry eye practice that you've had in the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, some really, really great things. I think, you know, my takeaway is how we can clinically target the specific things with these different treatments. I think a lot of practitioners come into it and say, oh, you know, this is for all dry eye patients. But in the reality, there's still differences between these different mechanisms. You know, lippy flow has a difference from an ILUX and ILUX has a difference than radio frequency and radio frequency is different than IPL. And when do we use them? Because there's so many things that are out there. How do we look at inflamma dry and telegentasia? How do we 
position things when we see redness of the eyes. Um, and so I, I appreciate the fact that you really clinically boiled down where to position these sort of things. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Yes. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the OI show. Make sure to like and subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes with amazing guests like Dr. Natalie Chan. Have a good one. 